worried that you might be the cool kid You wear the latest fashions on top of all the trends Or have you ever worried you were too much in the mainstream Always so generic, more normal than your friends Well, we've devised a test to put to rest your fears There's no need to panic if you lend us your ears Tonight you can't sleep easy after all that you've heard Cause if you like the show, then you're probably a nerd To the latest episode of the It's Cannon Podcast. It is Monday, and you know what that means. It's Mando Monday. It's the day where we analyze, review, talk about the Mandalorian and all things Mandalorian and all things Star Wars. That's right. I'm your host, I'm Boris, and this week I'm joined by Phil. Hey everybody, how you doing out there? I hope everybody is safe. Exactly. And Every week we are joined by a special guest, and this week is no difference as we are joined by Ben Warner. Hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you so much for reaching out, and here we are ready to talk about all things Mandalorian. And I gotta say, it um, I'm, I was pleasantly surprised because, you know, as we were planning for uh, this show, as we were bringing and booking guests, uh, we were also taking a look at the episodes and who was directing them. And, you know, after last week's big shocker and everything that happened and knowing that Dave Filoni is going to be directing Thursday's episode, I was under the impression that this week's episode was going to be nothing more than a freak of the week placeholder type episode. And I got to say that I was very pleasantly surprised i'm just super happy that uh, we got the episode that we ended up with um and i'm you know i can't wait to just uh, start chatting all things mandalorian so phil why don't you take it over and chat all things mandalorian here we go hey everybody so we have the mandalorian season two episode four chapter 12 which boris craftily dodged so I'm very happy that uh, this episode has come up um, and I'm very, very happy to have our guest with us, Ben. Ben, why don't you let us know a little bit about yourself and what, what it is you do? Sure. Uh, I'm a role-playing game, uh, tabletop role-playing game writer and designer. I have uh, written and designed uh, a bunch of games my own and freelanced I've everything from like Samurai Noir role-playing games to stuffed animals. I've written for Warhammer 40k and Scion and uh, the Tiny D6 system, and currently I'm working as a writer on the Dune role-playing game. Oh, that's so amazing. I'm so happy whenever we have someone who's in the industry, a creative, it just, I, I just think it's great. And we should all make sure that we support Ben in our personal lives and our personal purchases to make sure... <laughs> And enjoy these RPG games because they really do make a huge difference. As we found out a couple of weeks ago when we had our guest who did a lot of uh, uh, contribution to the Star Wars role-playing game sequences. So, yeah, so we're here today to discuss The Mandalorian. And what did we all think of Friday's episode? Boris? Well, 
I guess, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I honestly thought it was going to be a placeholder Freak of the Week type episode, but I was super happy with what we actually got. Um, you know, I think they, they totally did this on purpose. I feel, um, you know, knowing that kind of, you know, they obviously do their planning. They knew who was going to be directing the next episode. They took a look at, uh, you know, um, in, in regards to timing, and I think that they assumed that many of us would be assuming that this week was going to be just that, but we got everything, but we got some pretty major reveals, some, you know, we got some Legends canon coming into the new canon, um, so I'm really super th- excited to kind of talk about some of what we saw, um, and overall, I gotta give two thumbs way the F up. <laughs> Nice. And Ben, what did you make of, of this week's episode? Uh, I was definitely uh, way up with the two thumbs. My arms were all the way up in the air on the final shot. Um, and I was making uh, incomprehensible noises, just like, ah! Uh, <laughs> as, this, as this scene ended, and my family was all staring at me like, what, what, what's going on? <laughs> so that was a pretty awesome uh, bit for me. I'm getting chills again, just like thinking about that moment and being like, oh my gosh, I never thought that they would do something like that. Um, so I'm pretty excited about bringing those sort of things into the, into the new canon. Yeah, so. I definitely think that we got a little bit of a setup there, which was uh, 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 definitely hitting us a uh, uh, side hook on us because I don't think anybody could have called what happened at, that, uh, at the end. And it was really difficult to see. I know with a lot of the new modern TVs and monitors out there, they are calibrated so dark in order to get that cinematic experience that it was difficult to discern. But once you did a little bit of tinkering with the images that you saw, you could start to piece together. And then with the described audio as well, right. a bunch of different tricks. And yeah, just uh, for me, it was a two thumbs up episode way up uh, for the reasons that both of you have stated. Um I was hopeful that this, uh, I knew that this, this episode was an inevitability as in last week we talked about it. And I mentioned that I think that the razor crest is going to need to be fixed. I think that we're going to, it's definitely not going to be just jumping into the Ahsoka show and, and knowing that Dave Filoni is, is directing the next episode. I think that that's his, his, his contribution beyond all the love that he shows star wars to be the guy who ushers in live action ahsoka on screen considering it's his character bill before you move on and sorry for disrupting you but i feel like this needs to be said just because you know hindsight is 2020 and i just want to make sure that a lot of people were on the same boat remember when ahsoka was one of the most hated vile (laughs) characters in the star wars universe man um, that movie made me hate her so much that, that <laughs> Clone Wars animated atrocity started off the Clone Wars. Uh, what did you think of that movie, Ben? Um, we, well, so it's funny because we just watched it last week. Um, oh, wow. because, uh, my wife had never seen the Clone Wars. We've all seen Rebels together and, uh, that first, uh, it re- well, so it reminded me of the the m- mini movie episodes of the Rebels, like because it was definitely clunky, and oh my gosh, the animation was rough. Uh, mm-hmm. For but I mean, it's that era, so they were you know they did as well as or as, you know as well as they could at, at that time. But uh, yeah, she was definitely not as 
uh, well fleshed out or as interesting as you know. And they made some strange choices. Like even my wife, was, yeah. who's generally like likes the cute stuff, was like R2E. Is that what she's going with? <laughs> yeah. As far as her calling R2D2, you know, with nicknames and stuff like that. And yeah, but it, I mean, I I've watched the entire series, so I'm a huge fan. I've actually, I I don't think I like hated her. I think what I didn't like about that movie was just like the writing and the plotting a lot. I think the dialogue was really rough too, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it's the beginning of a new series and I made my way through uh, the first season of Star Trek, the next generation. So, you know, I think I can sit through just about (laughs) anything and survive. That's true. Yeah. And it it really showed that it was a little rough around the edges, but it had this idea and I'm so glad that Dave Filoni and the team got to spend the time in the seasons that they did because Agreed. by the end of of season seven, I think her arc, even though I I felt like that that arc was a little bit, I don't know, of a letdown in the story. The final four episodes where she's bringing in the climax for for the Clone Wars was just absolutely perfect and fitting, and I I just was like had so much like it's to the point where I'm buying the the young adult books for Ahsoka yeah. and things like that. And I'm so invested in that character, and that's a true, just uh, hats off to Dave Filoni and the team for making such a huge character, and now taking it to that next level, which is going to be next week. But really, we have to worry about this week's episode, <laughs> The Siege, directed by Excellent. You've got the book, too. <laughs> I literally just finally picked it up uh, uh Two nights ago, <laughs> I went to my lo- friendly local game store and, and they had it there. And I was like, what? And I picked that up. <laughs> it, it, it's it's sometimes, you know what? I, I have the audiobook of it as well. I usually mm-hmm. buy one for my shelf and one for my personal enjoyment. And the audiobook was fantastic. It was narrated by Ashley Eckstein. And oh, it's sweet. just amazing to hear her voicing the character and doing it all. She's um, an excellent voice actor. Yeah, yeah. She's absolutely a sweetheart. Like, I'm so disappointed that she's not going to be actually Ahsoka. Um, but I get it. I did. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's, it's I, I mean, uh, what's, oh my gosh, I just forgot her name. Uh, Bo-Katan's act- oh, oh, no, no. But Bo-Katan's actor, Katie, Katie Sackhoff. Sackhoff, right? Like, yeah. like they made uh, Bo-Katan look like Katie Sackhoff. So yeah. that, you know, that's fine. That, and that's great. Cause she's a good actor. Uh, yeah. but yeah. Uh, Ahsoka doesn't look as much, you know, like, um, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's just, it's such a, a visceral thing for me is hearing her voice. It's such an right. important part of knowing that character. So it's going to, it's going to be a little bit jarring. I think hearing possibly, I don't know how they're going to tackle it. And that's going to be the pleasure of next week. True. So, um, yeah, we've got this episode directed by Carl Weathers, who I think did a fantastic job and made some different choices than I was expecting. And definitely, could see his fingerprints on this episode as a director for uh, certain. Yeah. You know, a lot of falling stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's very fond of that. <laughs> we go immediately to the opening scene with that, with that sound of the, the millennium Falcon kind of makes when stuff's not working. And, uh, and we know that the razor crest is in a lot of trouble. And here we have the child trying to mess with wires and again, uh, the Mandalorian interacting with the child verbally and having the child understand him. So the communication is getting good. It's also very comedic 
and it was also very baby Groot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, what did you think, Boris? Like, I um, I gotta say that that scene made me laugh a little bit. I really enjoyed it overall. I didn't think at first. I'm like, oh god, this is dumb. But as you know, they kept going, doing the back and forth with you know plug the blue where the red was or you know whatever he was saying it just it, it, it worked out really well i i actually really enjoyed it um and for a puppet you know that baby yoda can act yeah it's getting chops man it's getting chops what do you <laughs> think ben i agreed i uh i thought that was a hilarious scene and very much baby groot inside that like tunnel in the second guardians of the galaxy scene like that was like immediately in my head and i think it was the same sort of thing with the rest of my family when we were watching that and um i don't remember who said it but someone uh when uh baby yoda like got uh shocked they're like karma from the last episode <laughs> yep, exactly <Yeah>. exactly <laughs> but so i mean funny. it was cute and you know fun and light so yeah and, yeah and i i just love that when he says don't touch them and then you see his head turn and it's like i'm gonna touch them <laughs> yeah exactly the, the, the whole symbolic thing that wasn't lost on me that one one wire is blue and one wire is red, right? Like, yeah, I was just like, "Is that Star Wars or what?" <laughs> like, and the two are drawn together by this seemingly neutral little force user. Yeah, and he's gonna get the consequence of that as well. Like, yeah, what happens when you cross blue and red? <laughs> so, yeah, I couldn't help but think that there was even in that comedic moment there was a little bit of people really geeking out on some <laughs> themes. <laughs> <laughs> in the background foreshadowing yeah yes yeah i wonder how much we, it is foreshadowing versus how much it's just them fucking with like you know us geeks yeah. who are yeah, like right. literally going frame by frame trying to catch things <laughs> yeah that's like my deepest reach ever <laughs> yeah but you know what here's the thing and I, I always laugh at this ben with phil it's that every week we do these episodes and each episode of the mandalorian outside of episode number one was about 40 minutes um mm-hmm. our average episode length for this show is about 60 to 90 minutes so it's like right you know we, we spend more time analyzing and discussing the episode than the actual episode itself and i just find that hilarious right. and sad all at once and amazing i mean i i love it i yeah. think it's pretty great to yeah <laughs> my mother used to give me a hard time because i would you know, spend as a like a ten year old. I'd spend four hours, ex- you know, telling her about a two hour movie that I had just watched. There you go, right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And the funny thing though is, is about it because when you watch the condensed stuff on YouTube and whatnot, the analysis, a lot of the times that's just a single person like rifling stuff at your ears. It's a full on assault of of data without conjecture. And I love the fact that we have this forum to discuss it. And to get to places that maybe you don't get to when you're following a script. Yeah, And that's the important part about enjoying this type of stuff, especially in, as we all know, the world that we live in right now with lockdowns and pandemics and and things like that. It's just amazing. Right. Now, to that point, um, you know, how do you watch this show? Because, like, I watch it once. Friday morning, Thursday night, um, because I have to. I, like, I'm I'm insane that way. I have to watch it as soon as it comes out. Um, so I watch it once then, and then I watch it at least once more before we do the show, so that I can actually you know see it in in the as is in my angle it being a a analyst, a podcast host. Um, how do you watch this show? 
Well, you guys have ruined it for me. <laughs> I'm going to say that. It used to be, all right, 13-year-old me watches Star Wars and gets so excited, and I still do. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't. I get so excited, and I do my first watch through Friday. And then maybe I watch it, I don't know, about two or three more times as the workday finishes. I might fire it up at night, throw it on my 55-inch 4K screen, you know, with the sound and everything, and just kind of go through ex the, the theatrical experience, if you will. But then Saturday comes, and Saturday is business me. And it's my one day where I don't have any any obligation. I'm not recording a podcast. I'm not doing anything but um, pulling up the, the episode and probably watching it another six to ten times um, <laughs> at various points. I'm fast-forwarding and whatnot. Like, I, there are specific things I want to go see. And then I have to watch it with subtitles. I have to watch it with described audio. I have to go through it with, you know, altering some some contrast levels, things like that to dig details out. If the episode warrants it, sometimes, you know, like the spider episode was just, it was just a cinematic spider episode for me. So I didn't really need to overthink it. This week's episode was a bit of a challenge as Ben yeah. has pointed out and you have as well that it, there was some really subtle things happening in it and they needed to be investigated. Wasn't as many as I thought. I was a little bit more worried about it originally. How do you watch all this, Ben? So when the first season came out, I was watching it, you know, the second it dropped at, you know, Thursday in the middle of the night, uh, going into Friday morning. And uh, then I try to convince my family to watch it with me, you know, then on Friday uh, in the evening. And then after a couple episodes of that, it became a we're watching this every Friday at dinner, <laughs> uh, like right after dinner sort of thing as a, as a family. We have to watch it you know, together. And so I kind of stopped watching it like late Thursday night, but every once in a while, someone would be like, Hey, you have to see this or, <laughs> Oh my gosh. And I'd be like, ah, and then I just watch it. You yeah. know? But, uh, um, actually the spider episode, um, uh, I have a couple of friends who are, uh, arachnophobic. And so one of my oh. friends, uh, mentioned to me that there's spiders in this episode. So I went and actually watched it because I knew one of my friends that liked to watch it. who's arachnophobic, like on the Thursday night. So I went and watched it immediately. And I sent them a warning. I'm like, hold on, don't watch it yet. <laughs> and then I sent them the timestamps. And uh, you know, I was like, so it's from the here to the here. And they were like, oh my gosh, thank you. So they went and watched that episode with like, uh, I think their girlfriend. And they were like, I'm going to walk out of the room <laughs> during this period of time <laughs> in the episode. And then once it's over, you know. But yeah. yeah, so that's, I generally watch it on Friday nights with the family. And then uh, if it's an episode I've really enjoyed, I'm definitely going to watch it again uh, Saturday, yeah. maybe Sunday. And I've, I think I've watched every episode at least twice. So even yeah. like the the less the ones that were not as clean for me, I was you know I've watched them probably again on a Saturday or Sunday. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, that's awesome. I I love that with the spiders. You see, you're so fortunate because I, you're on on the West Coast. So right. it's a midnight thing for you. The thing right, that kills exactly. me is like Boris <laughs> waits until 3 a.m. our time <laughs> before he gets a shot at it. 
And I'm like, nope, nope, nope. I got to go to work the next day, even if it's working from home. <laughs> and uh, we're just going to slide that in and avoid social media whenever I can <laughs> during the day on Friday. Yeah, but that's the difference right, between me and you, Phil. Um, you know, you, as you know, Phil, I barely sleep, if at all. So it's just another Thursday night for me, usually playing <laughs> video games, reading something. Um, and then I look at the clock. It's like 2.50. I'm like, all right. And then I'm literally like refreshing Disney Plus every couple minutes it's the most pathetic sad thing that i can humanly do but i love every second of it that's awesome so we're gonna get back into the into the episode here and uh basically we've got we we go to to navarro and we see the old armory the old mandalorian armory um and we see that there's a whole bunch of the the walrus men i used to call them uh, the Pondo, whatever they're called. Uh, I apologize for being off my geek point on that one, but you know they were they were pretty scruffy looking, and they're they're gonna eat this this rat type thing. Um, and yeah, Cara Dune comes in as the marshal, and basically I thought that was a pretty good fight sequence. Yeah, to be honest, like it was surprising how physical she is, and you know we all know her background with MMA and whatnot. But I, I thought that it set the tone. And then we finally get the credits. Like, this was one of the longest intro sequences to an episode that I think I've ever seen on The Mandalorian before we get that first credit. Uh, what what we all think of 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 that little roundup there? Ben, what, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I really like that scene. And, the, yeah, again, the physicality of uh, Cara Dune was great. And I... I, I liked how uh, a couple of my friends are uh, um, uh, wrestling fans. They're big mm-hmm. into professional wrestling. And they were like, look at this move and that move. And I don't know the names, but uh, they did. <laughs> and so they were they were like, and she does that thing with the guy on her back. And I was like, that's cool. You know, <laughs> so. <laughs> um, in the same boat. So clearly Carl Weathers, who's, I'm sorry, I missed that. What was that? I'm in the same boat. I'm like completely lost on the wrestling stuff. I didn't even think they were real moves. Yeah, I'm the one who's the big wrestling fan, so I knew Phil was going to say something at some point. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, oh, that's really cool, you know. And, and I think that uh, points towards like Carl Weathers being the director of that episode, you know, because mm-hmm. he understands physical uh, movement in a scene, you know, in a TV show or movie, and you know, her doing making all those moves like that. Really, I think that really like raise the level of that scene higher than you know i would have expected in like just about any other thing or with a different director probably and so yeah Boris, what moves did we have in <laughs> you know it's funny i was actually go thinking about uh re-watching it this morning and uh uh writing them down but i i don't recall everything there was a lot of triangles <laughs> a couple arm bars couple reversals in there it was actually you know i gotta say overall it was really well choreographed choreographed um i really enjoyed it uh they really finally got to show um you know what she's made of and, and what she brings to the table uh in terms of her mma background so yeah i i overall really really like that uh that opening fight and it's yeah, very and it rare that we actually that. get physical fight um, scenes in right. any Star Wars media. Yeah. So actually seeing, you know, a non-blaster, non-lightsaber um, lightsaber. fight was actually really cool. Yeah, agreed. Yeah. It made it nice and real, right? And it was like a meerkat. I'm sorry, the name had slipped my mind. 
it, it the animation on that thing was a little weird for me, but I was it was okay. Like there was points at which I'm like, is this thing stop motion, or right? You know, it's it's twitchy. It it's definitely I, weird. <laughs> it felt very like 1980s Star Wars, like Empire Strikes mm. Back or, or Return of the Jedi, like. Or the thing that really jumped in my head was uh, the Ewok adventure, like, you know, uh, (laughs) level of, like, animation for the little twitchy creature, which I, like, as as an adult who loved all those things as a kid, I was like, oh, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I still maintain that, you know, I think the reason that they use a lot of uh, robots and animatrics and and things like that is because of just the backlash that the Star Wars movies, that the the prequel trilogy got with mm. like just so much CGI to the point where they even CGI fruit in attack of the clones. Like why, why did you have to CGI fucking fruit? There was no point to do that. So I think they're really like taking a step back and trying to get like that more realistic look and feel wherever they can with this show. And you know, budget wise, it's probably cheaper um, to dig out old s- skeleton robots and whatnot. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it- it was a nostalgic. I think Ben really hit it there. It, yeah. it actually beats on a nostalgia drum for me, where I'm like, yeah, I remember when those bad ABC movies were out <laughs> <laughs> with the Ewoks, and I have them on DVD, <laughs> believe it or not. Yeah, same. But it's, yeah, it's it's one of those childhood memories, and for a minute there, I was like, you know, <clears throat> analytical brain was going, oh, that's a bit cheesy. And then, like, Nostalgia Phil, 13-year-old, is like, no, this is perfect. It's a meerkat. Oh, give him cuddles. Like, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to add one more thing. Yeah. Is that when you mentioned, uh, or when Boris mentioned, uh, like, the special effects, like, uh, I watched Corridor Digital a bunch, and they talk about the FX artists react to good and bad effects. And one of the big things is they talk about, like, weight in, like, you know, the weight of an object in a scene and like if it feels real in the scene and like that fruit from uh the prequel where it just it doesn't feel real at all there's like no weight to it no realistic motion and then you have this meerkat who's kind of janky but like he he's there like mm-hmm. your bra- your lizard brain knows that that creature is in the the shot there you know you can see the the way the light plays on his fur and all that mm-hmm. stuff yep. you know yep. like subconsciously yeah, and Ben, you know, then that yeah. brings up another point. Um, you know, when we think about special effects and CGI in movies, it's not the good CGI that you tend to remember. It's the bad CGI right. that you tend to remember. You know, like all of the prequel trilogy and all of the quirks and bad CGI they had. Mummy Returns when the Scorpion King slash The Rock shows up, <laughs> aka when they ran out of budget, I'm sure. You know, we don't remember right. the amazing CGI. We always remember the shit ones. Um, so that's just another thing I wanted to bring up, which made this scene kind of that much more impactful for, for you guys and myself to, to a lesser extent. Yeah. Was, You're not a giant meerkat fan? <laughs> I got, it's, uh, I'm neutral on that all, one. <laughs> all good. It, it, it's very Clash of the Titans. I remember that right. when I was a kid, right? And I was like, yeah. oh my God, it's so terrible, but you ate it up. Yeah. <laughs> Harry, like you Harry House, yeah. Yeah, and I, I forgot to mention a little a little touching uh, uh, part of the opening sequence, and that was when Mando was drinking and he was lifting his helmet with. Oh yeah, Yoda. yeah. Now that I bring up because does that signify that what Bo Katan had talked about is maybe affecting Din 
in that he's now, because the child's look, when he's looking up the helmet, you know, you can see the kid is getting an eyeful of his face. Yeah. And yeah. is he softening on that front? Is he accepting the idea that he might be able to take his helmet off whenever the heck he wants now? Or at least playing with that idea? I, I, don't I think know. it... I think it definitely points towards a like an internal conflict. Like it, the writers took the time to put that in the scene, right? Mm-hmm. So I, it's at least the very much that he's struggling with that sort of thinking, right? But also that scene works great because it's a father and son or father and child, you know, sort of uh, uh, showing how like children mirror their parents and how when they're both drinking, you know, and like the kid would watch him and then when he'd start drinking, he'd start drinking. You know, yeah, uh, and how you know very much he's picking up on what uh, Jen is uh, exactly. Doing. Boris, do you think that it might be that Pedro Pascal just wants to take the freaking helmet off? I was honestly thinking <laughs> that the entire time, and I think like you know, I think it's a combination of storytelling of where they want to go with um, with with his character, and partially kind of like the actor himself, kind of like hey. He's going to, at some point, be able to take off his helmet more. Um, but overall, I do think that it has a lot to do with last week's episode, kind of bringing in this, we have this internal conflict with him. I also think that, you know, the child is kind of like a, you know, part of him, this father-son type relationship, so he feels a little more comfortable Um you know, even removing a small part of his mask uh, or helmet. So I think there's a lot going on here, and I'm really interested to kind of see this internal struggle continue because obviously what Bo-Katan said last week really, really rang a bell with him. Yeah, and I want to point out something that Ben said because I think that it's so important. They gave the screen time. Like, the writer wrote it, and they gave it screen time. So that it's not us reading too far into something i say i think it it really is it's placed and it's placed mm-hmm. there not by accident they used up valuable time they used up valuable film to put this thing to screen and publish it and i think that there is a message in there yep beyond pedro pascal yep. taking his i agree off. i agree 100 <laughs> there so yeah and uh, I'm excited about the, uh, the the implications of it. Like maybe it, it maybe it is nothing. Maybe it's just a, that touching moment between father and son. I do notice that one of the themes is Baby Yoda got to eat. <laughs> like that's <laughs> right. One of the biggest takeaways this season is like you know we're going the whole gambit of of bodily excretions, and I I don't know that I want to see a Baby Yoda diaper change, but it's he he is consuming a lot and seemingly getting bigger he he, he seems to, to be getting a little rotund <laughs> so maybe all those eggs who knows so we finally get this razor crest down and we get into it with grief and and cara dune there uh greeting mando and this very grandfather moment with carl weathers grabbing the child and is he treating you right? And you know, like the and the baby is just really getting a lot of of not even saying much, but articulating an awful lot if through sounds and gestures and whatnot. You can see the genuine like and the the fact that he's comfortable with Carl and remembers him. And it's funny, you know, it's a puppet as we all know, but it it's it's really bringing a role to this. 
what we all what we all think of that, Boris? How would you make out with the reuniting and the the and this would be the end as well. I'm just gonna throw this in there. This would be the end of all the episodes in the opening trailer. Yeah. So after this episode, I don't think that we've seen anything that hasn't been seen. Like it'll all be fresh. Yeah. And I think that's what really- I was, and I think that's really important yeah. to point out just because of what we assume is going to happen in the next episode or two. Um, and, and But going back to this specific scene, I really enjoyed um, that, like, uh, you know, the family is reunited. Um, and, and like you said, there's a lot that the child says without actually saying anything. Um, you know, as, as, as he was, the child was being asked, you know, is he treating you right? I don't know why, but I feel like the, the, um, body language of Mando at that point was very much like, you know, oh, stop embarrassing me. You know, I'm treating him well type thing. (laughs) Kind of like, you know, how a, how, how you would react when your parent asks your child, their grandchild, um, hey, is your is your mom dad treating you well? So I kind of like that like play on stuff, um, and yeah, it was kind of like that that everyone's reunited, the the band is back together, um, so it really led to a feel good moment because um, overall this show, you know, when you think about it, it doesn't have too many feel good moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and this was really getting back to season one. Yeah. I think with. Yeah, that comfort level. Then, how did you enjoy the reuniting? The the, what did you feel at that moment? What did you think you were gonna feel? Like we knew it was inevitable. Uh, I I mean I loved just the landing, the craft landing, and and it being all janky and not the 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 pat the pat in the back like not coming down all the way and just him having to like jump off of it and them just like yeah. laughing at him right and then you can definitely tell John Favreau is a parent <laughs> and you know that that moment with grief carga and, and the baby is like a hundred percent like I've been there you know with my kids and yeah. my parents and you know and it's like okay grandma go go take your go take the kids off to be spoiled yeah that's exactly. fine you know exactly. <laughs> sort of yeah. moment yeah, yeah. So I love that. I love that bit. And then they walk through the the city and they get to where the shootout happened, the old bar. In the background, there's a statue to IG-11. Mm-hmm. Really subtly yep. placed in there that I got so good. screen grab. And I'm like, oh man, I missed that the first time around. And they get in there and this is where the, those audio subtitles really became interesting for me because I could read what the droid was saying as they place the child in the chair, and really they're going over a heck of a lot of solo movie stuff with the Maelstrom and Kessel and and, and trade routes. And wow, I'm like, oh, this is like super greasy nerd stuff happening yeah. by this. Like, and I even think it was voiced by one of the people who did solo uh, robot voicing as well, because it sounded oh, very familiar. Right? So... It, it remind. Oh, go ahead. No, no, go. I was gonna say it reminded me of like a like I almost felt like one of the like the Star Tours type like robot bits yes. where and it's just like that like kind of in the background it doesn't seem important and then the, like the way they were presenting it too it's like a kid's school lesson but then you listen to the words and you're like oh they're talking about you know all this you know the important stuff like that yeah yeah it's just just there I don't know there was a lot more packed in there than I thought and. 
and naturally we have the child doing this again. I'm just amazed at how how far the actual puppeteering is getting with him because we have the child gesturing and having a full-on conversation through sounds like, hey, and stuff like that, <laughs> where he just wants this cookie. And I feel bad if that kid's on Twitter because right. the kid is like, no. I'm like thinking, I hope there's no fan backlash to him. He's doing a part. Like, and it's probably breaking his heart in that moment mm -hmm. yeah. to even deny this this puppet this yeah, food right. right and he's eating it all messy i can't help but notice the crumbs on the the kid's face and just that detail and then baby yoda breaks out the force and goes <laughs> gotta eat and yep wow like i i was so happy with that decision with the fact that the child didn't pass out after using the force like it's right. showing that he's He's able to, he's starting to master this a little bit. He's able to yep. achieve his goals through the force. Yep. And, you know, and he's not got anybody teaching him other than right. the moral teachings of Din Jarden, right? Where he's like, no, don't eat those eggs, you know, behave this way, not that way. But he's getting no formal training. So I, I thought it was a great sequence. What did we all think about it? Boris, did you have thoughts on this Man, thing? Okay, Were so, like yeah. So, first off, when they drop him off in this classroom, I thought it was really cool just to see a classroom. Like, hey, kids in this galaxy actually do go to school, um, and they don't get killed when they go to school all the time. So, that was cool to see. Um, the part that really kind of made me go, ah, was when uh, Mando was walking away and he kept looking back. It was kind of like that, you know, hey, that first day of kindergarten with my child. I, I don't know. I don't know how I feel leaving him there. Meanwhile, the child doesn't give a crap. He's more interested in the cookies at this point. Um, so that was like a, that that. Uh, paternal instinct, that father-son relationship that's an ongoing theme throughout this season. Uh, so that was really cool. And like you mentioned about the whole cookie scene, you know, Jim Henson would be super proud of the puppeteering that was that they're using in this show. Um, you know, the amount of the range that they're getting from a doll is is insane. Like, I have to always remember myself, this is a fucking doll and they're getting like this just range of emotion from us, the viewers, um, and throughout this episode, I think that that's what we saw. But you know, in this scene specifically, it was really cool to kind of see how the uh, the child was able to interact with someone, uh, have a back and forth with someone, literally using noises and and gestures, and then seeing him use the force to get the cookies to to eat and kind of like that happy moment when it's like i got my cookies fuck everyone you know leave me alone <laughs> I, I really enjoyed that man baby yoda is like really holding it down in your mind <laughs> fuck everyone i got cookies yeah <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh the little bugger's gonna make blue poo like <laughs> <laughs> Did you have any takeaways from all that, Ben? Or I mean, what Boris said is you know pretty spot on. I mean, what's the they talk about like two or three year olds uh, being like little sociopaths sometimes, and that's you know they because they don't really know how to act, and so they're just you know feeding 
they're you know animal urges like oh i'm hungry i'm thirsty i you know i'm uncomfortable you know so yeah i think i thought that was a great scene with him just like you know using yeah. the force for for things that you know you, you don't use the force for or, or you know a jedi or a sith would never really mm-hmm. consider using the force for so i thought that was great that was a, a yeah i loved every moment yeah and it would, it would, <laughs> it's a really good point it would mark the first time that we've seen younglings on the screen not getting killed by Anakin. <laughs> so. <laughs> Schools are safe in this rep- new <laughs> republic, guys. Hashtag Sith free zone. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and considering all the chaos that happened in that space, it was good to see it reclaimed and uh, done like that. We move on to, to our introduction to Mithril which we saw in the first chapter. He was the guy that Mando put in carbonite. He expunges himself quite visibly on screen when he sees Din Jarden and, uh, you know, starts complaining that his left eye is lost, still doesn't have vision from the carbonite freezing, which was a great callback to Return of the Jedi when, when Han Solo got out of the carbonite uh, himself. Um, I, I, you know what? I've seen some people, I've seen some backlash early before i know we all kind of agreed on the internet to not do our spoiler reviews until the mondays to give people the chance to watch it but i have seen a few objections to the use of him as comedic relief so i i watched it the episode and thought i think that it's a good dynamic ben what do you feel about mithril coming back and his kind of awkward i don't know character in the interplay you know carl weathers constantly telling him oh you know we'll put you back in carbonite you know that type of stuff i mean i i think it's an interesting dynamic and i think interesting dynamic in that it's definitely not a great place for his character right like he's in a bad spot he he did screw up and now he's paying the price for it. And that's not but that's not necessarily like justice right either. Mm -hmm. And Carl or Grief Karga's character, I shouldn't say Carl Weather, because Carl Weather's the actor. Grief Karga's character <laughs> is clearly not 100% like on the up and up. He's not, you know, an upholder of peace and justice necessarily in the galaxy. He's, you know, the leader of this planet now. But is that, is he going to be a good leader or not? We, you know, the way he mm-hmm. treats uh, Mithril isn't necessarily a great indication of that. But um, I also think it's interesting. Uh, the character is being like, you know, he can slice stuff. And so he, yeah, he was definitely, there was a few funny moments. There's also, it's, you know, abusive for his character as far as, you know, how grief treats him and, and all that. But it's, it's also, it, it gave a good, I thought it was an interesting dynamic in the, in the scenes and the base later on with him being clearly a non-combatant and uh, you've got the drop trooper and you've got the, old bounty hunter right like running Mm -hmm. even after mando's gone and it's just the three of them and you can see how each of them react in the fight scenes and and i thought that was a good dynamic and an interesting take so yeah for sure boris what do you think old mithril coming back i'm you know it's, it's always cool to see characters from previous episodes make a reappearance um and to me it makes sense like you know he ended up in carbonite he ended up on the wanted list for a reason so now he's 
naturally paying off his debts to society um, in in this role. And, you know, as a comedic relief, he, he, he kind of was in the first episode. He wasn't entirely a serious character. He was cracking jokes as he's, like, trying to spare his life and not go um not be taken in so i don't see the difference in character from his first appearance to now um and it just makes sense and you know you always need someone who isn't a combatant in these types of episodes that's the trope you know we just just needed him there it was nice i i I get tired of the people trying to say well he was no c3po well that's good that he wasn't because old anthony Anthony daniels is c3po and he's deadpan Yep. And that's that's a play. And, but and this what, guy is his own character. And what gets and to me is that people is... who constantly say that he's no C-3PO are the first people to complain that Star Wars is the same thing over and over again. But yet here, mm-hmm. pe- right. here are these people are constantly making comparisons to, you know, A New Hope and what A New Hope was and not giving the opportunity for us to get away from from that um, model and formula and now we have right. this and it's like Kai's you can't have your cake and eat it too right agreed yeah. I'd love to see like to me the, the funny thing was is when he was explaining about why he was working in this off it was clear obviously like that grief was like he caught grief caught him cheating him yeah. right. and then he put the bounty out and I'm sure that when Mando took the puck for that bounty. There was a, you know, grief wouldn't have shown any emotion about it, but I'm sure there were fireworks in his head. Like go screw him up. Like, you know what I mean? Like this guy, I've got skin in this one. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? And I'm just thinking to myself, it'd be great, you know, those books that Jim Zub and everybody have contributed to where from a certain point of view on uh, X movie, it would be great to get like a season one Mandalorian from a certain point of view where it's like somebody does like what grief is really thinking. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, go get this mithril douchebag. He's really yeah. just messed up my books and I've got the empire breathing down me and all this stuff, you know? Yep. <laughs> I just, exactly. It was a funny little side thought that I had from as creative as I get. Right. So we basically get the assault, the siege, they go, they, they do their thing. And I found that this was all pretty mindless. I, I, I texted Boris cause I couldn't help but laugh again at Mithril. I think this is what endeared him to me when he finally gets into the place and Mando uses jetpack and falling stormtroopers, all that stuff. But when he gets onto that platform, when he wants to turn the cooling off and it's a setup, just like a new hope. Yeah. And, there's no guardrail. This is observation. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely killed me because I'm like, Dave Filoni is a Star Wars fan. And, so is and the fact that that line was in there is 13 year old me is like, yeah, where is that guardrail? The Death Star? Why is all this stuff exposed? Right? <laughs> like, why is everything like, uh, uh, feel like a dare in yeah. Star Wars? <laughs> like there's no health and safety committee. <laughs> We yeah. gotta build stuff fast, it, right? <laughs> yeah, in the uh, yeah, on in America, it's there was there's no OSHA in the Empire, right? <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. Right, no. it's just it's a it's a it's a great moment, and I, I I'm really happy that Favreau put that in the script there, and mm-hmm. and just yeah, just that that long shot of him like looking down into the lava. 
like made my feet tingle for a moment for just like oh we're so high it was just the the way they framed the scene and everything and him like leaning back against uh mm-hmm. the the generator or what yeah the generator yeah, the machine is, yeah. right yeah. whereas like the shot with obi-wan is he's you know very you know calm and collected and he just walks out there like it's no big deal and he's facing the thing not even looking at the drop and and uh Gracious ends his character is just like backing across it. Like I am a person who could die at any moment in this terrible situation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> great. Oh my goodness. So yeah. Um, we, we get, you know, the inevitable rushing through uh, uh, the shootout and, and the realization that, that basically they get to a point at which they, they come across two scientists with the, the, the cloner badges on or similar mm-hmm. cloner badges. And there's that that shootout with them. Now, I want to make the observation throughout all this that, and I think this is important for what we're going to discuss. Um, these three are, or, well, I say three, there's four of them. They're just cutting through the stormtroopers. Like, it. there's nothing happening. Like, there, there's there's no opposition. These guys are just butter, like a hot knife through butter. They're just shooting the, the wild... They're not hitting anything, but uh, our our heroes, our protagonists, are just nailing them left, right, and center. And we get these two two scientists, and they're trying to cook the the books, so to speak, to get rid of all the evidence. And they're rushed. And then we see on the one wall, Din Jarden takes notice of what looks like, and I hate to say this, but I love to say it. It <laughs> looks like Snoke. Yep. It looks like a Snoke clone. Yep, 100%. And I, you know, like it's so exciting to me as a Star Wars fan to think that we're going to get some linkage. We're going to get some backstory. We're going to get explanation off of where that sequel trilogy kind of failed. And, Mm -hmm. you know, everybody wanted to know Snoke's origins and they let us know, but it was kind of felt cheap. And now we have John and Dave that are going to be like, hold my beer. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. We're going to at least give you something to talk about. Like, what did, what did you guys think when you saw all this? Like I, for me, my mind was exploding with what the hell am I seeing? And then it goes back and like starts to, to, you know, the real starts going in my head and I'm like, Oh no. Like this is, this got fascinating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> What'd you think Ben? Like, well, so the first time I watched it, I was like, are those like Yoda clones or are those like, uh, yeah, I knew they were like too big. I was like, so I didn't, I wasn't like completely sure. And then I was like, I mean, it could be Snoke, but uh, that's like, that's like what, 30, 25 years in the fu- future sort of or something. And I was like, I wasn't sure. And then I went to go watch it the second time. And when I went to watch it the second time, right before that, a friend of mine messaged me and was like, that's the Snoke theme they play when he's looking at the tanks. And I was like, what? And so I go back and I watched like that specific part again. And then I went and like played the music for uh, John Williams theme for Snoke. And I was like, Oh my gosh, it totally is. And that could, mm-hmm. you know, it could be them like red herring again, screwing with us. But I, I, I kind of doubt it. It like that, that one figure that they show close up the head, the way the head is malformed and look, kind of felt like it could be a Snoke, so. Hmm? Or an early failed Snoke, right? Yeah. Boris? You know. Would you 
So here's the thing. This happened at about 3.40 in the morning. I had my phone in hand, and I was like, going to text you. And I'm like, who the fuck texts <laughs> someone at 4 in the morning? Mind you, we do half the time. But I yeah. stopped myself because I didn't want to give anything away, obviously. I don't even like saying whether I like the episode or not sometimes. Uh, I try, you know, I hope that you message me first so that we can discuss. Um, but I was in shock uh, because I feel like this is exactly what we wanted to see, kind of the origin stories. I also think that this is hilariously kind of... Um, uh, you know, Lucasfilm backpedaling and trying to justify and explain, um, you know, Palpatine and kind of Snook's origins and how everything combines and played out. So, you know, this is them kind of making um, reparations in, the, in that sense uh, with the fans. Um, but, you know, it was a shock. It was for sure a shock. I did not expect that anywhere. Um, and I, I just love the fact that this... Uh, um, you know, unassigned, unmarked building that's, uh, th- you know, where they are. They're kind of like, you know, the Enron offices back in 2000, whatever, trying to feverishly hide everything and burn stuff. Um, so it was, it was really cool how they were able to kind of do all that. But yeah, it was just, honestly, it was just a shock. And I had to stop, catch my breath, start, rewind a couple seconds, see that again and i picked up on the music part at that point and i'm like holy shit this probably is you know the origins of snook so i'm like fuck here we are now i'm like i'm beyond invested you know the story does take another tangent but you know it just i feel like this story is like or sorry this show is really becoming the launching pad for a lot of the star wars story between um the trilogies Oh, big time. Like, And you guys are absolutely right in pointing out the music. And I think that that's one of the biggest tells in this series overall. Um, when we think back to the first season, episode five, I believe, you heard the, the spurs when the Boba Fett spurs, mm-hmm. uh, when the, the guy f- walks in and finds the body of, of the assassin at the end of the episode. And we all kind of collectively go, that's Boba Fett sound. And they confirmed yeah. it in the Disney gallery where they say the audio is one of the most telling components of storytelling in the Mandalorian. And Ben, you're absolutely right. Cause I had forgotten to mention that about that audio cue. And it's so important. It's so subtle, but it is that like it, it's, it definitely pushes us into that territory, whether or not they follow up on it, whether or not they, they fulfill it, or maybe they just basically light the fire and go, Hey guys, this is happening. Yeah. You know, like this, here's a little bit of what's going on. And maybe, maybe the child's part of this play, obviously with its, cause they mentioned the, um, the midi-chlorians, the M count, they avoid using the bad word. Yeah. Which I thought was pretty funny. It's like the M count is high. <laughs> yeah. I love that. <laughs> cause they pull up that, that recording and it's only three days old. And obviously it establishes that, that, that Moff Gideon is still alive. It's 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 Din Jarden's first like realization. Like, oh crap, I'm compromised potentially because I left the child outside of my you know normally protective supervisory role. I left the child exposed. I have to get back there, and, and it was great too because that family that he's with, Kara and all them are immediately like, use your jetpack, get the hell out of here. 
get back mm-hmm. there as quickly as you can, right? And and get mm-hmm. get that's our number one priority. We'll figure out the rest of it. Leave yep. it with us, which I think was a great story decision because I Agreed. got to feel like in that time of crisis during that big chase down and using that transport from, you know, the troop transport that they find out in the bay was also a great callback to 1977 Star Wars toys that never really got included. I know it was in Rebels (laughs) and whatnot, but I just loved that whole ship excited me. Yeah. And that whole sequence, right, with the speeder bikes reminiscent of of Return of the Jedi. like. Everything was just really working for me at that point. And then even to the point where we get the TIE fighters again, more yeah. of those special fold down wings mm. and that, that iconic sound just gets you all like Star Wars sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> Boris, did you get, I could only imagine you at like three of the, like almost four of the morning, like, oh, we got it going on. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. I had to spend some time alone in the bathroom. That's for sure. After watching this. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like seriously, I think that's that's one of the the things I wanted to point out was you know hearing that Tie Fighter sound effect, you know that sound effect is used nowhere else. That is a Tie Fighter, you know. Um, it's it's such an iconic sound, and hearing it here in this chase and throughout the show or this episode was really really cool. Um, I just like this entire chase scene. Like, who doesn't love a classic chase scene? And then a chase scene in the Star Wars universe where you have, you know, um, these these iconic vehicles. Um, it was just so much fun. Like, it was such a good scene. Um, and, you know, even uh, seeing them, like, just traverse through everything. Like, we don't see Mando. We don't see Din Djarin at all throughout this. So that was kind of cool as well because the focus is here. They're trying to get back to the city um, as fast as they humanly can with the Empire literally, you know, on their tails. I really, really liked it a lot. Ben, what do you think? Did you have fun watching that one? <laughs> I did. I, I like. I saw the tank at the beginning. And I was like, uh, "Oh, it's Chekhov's tank. Uh, they're gonna <laughs> do something with that tank here." In a, you know, in twenty minutes or so, and uh, and I like immediately I saw that and I was like, "Is that the is that the old toy?" <laughs> one of my friends had that one, and yeah. I remember us like playing with that as kids. But like, just uh, yeah, that was such a good scene. The sound uh, and like even the running through the hallways, like running fights, like I mentioned earlier with Horatio Sand's character, like not being uh, being a non combatant, how he acted in those scenes was great because when you have a fight, like. Uh, really good fight scenes like movies like John Wick and whatnot. They're te- or like uh, Captain America Winter Soldier is also an excellent thing where you oh, yeah. tell a story through the fight, how the people fight and how they act in the fighting is so much important. It's so important uh, to have a really good fight scene versus like uh, I like the movies, but uh, the Bourne movies, a lot of the mm-hmm. fight scenes are just like filler. It's just like yeah. frenetic and it doesn't tell a story or, or reveal the characters at all. And I think that was a great moment in the tank with like uh, Grief Karga and the guns and, and um, Cara Dune driving and how they interacted in those shots. And just like, you know, Cara Dune being ruthless for the Empire with the one guy on the speeder bike to the right of her and just like slamming him into the wall without, you know, even a second thought. And Horatio Sands' character, whose name I 
cannot remember uh just being like shocked in that moment like ah you know and then she would do something like that and <laughs> yeah her just like not flinching at all yeah and and just oh and i loved you know grief cargo you know a little slow now as an old older guy like just missing all those shots and, and his screen is full of tie fighters and he's missing them but it was great the tension was fantastic because of of how they built that and the fact that like Mando's not the character in that scene, and we're caring mm-hmm. about these three characters who they've, you know, in season one they did a great job of building out, and in this episode too, where they're like building out that world, right? Yeah, and so. I, I just love the that retro display too, right? Uh, oh. I was like, like that was to me again, you know, as a kid that was cutting edge, and yeah. then it didn't age well, but right. they don't care in Star Wars, <laughs> they don't retcon it. Or make it something different. They go, no, damn it. That's the way George saw it. That's the way the technology was in the 70s and early 80s. And we're going to continue that tradition. Yeah. Right? And even to the point where it's that guy with the grenade and he's just, and it's like right. a stick figure on the display or the really poly triangle kind yeah. of build up of it. And I'm like, oh, man, that is so cool. Like, I, yeah. I know it's going to happen, but. And I don't know if this is the case, but that shot with the guy and the you know with the grenade like it made me it felt like it was like a callback to indiana jones the last crusade with the tank scene yes that's exactly what i thought (laughs) i was like that's you know that was yeah that moment i was like oh that's yeah that was great so hey when you got the catalog right right exactly (laughs) it's george wasn't so subtle right no (laughs) (laughs) it's <laughs> so funny and then we finally get them breaking towards the city and and then we get that millennium falcon moment right when when mm. the razor crest is there and it's just like you can't help but not actually cheer in your mind or physically or with your family watching that you know here's din jarden and the music's on point the the action's happening and yeah, he's just mercilessly taking these things out. And you know, there's so much meme in this cockpit kind of cuts because the little baby Yoda still got his cookies yeah. and he's got his arms <laughs> up and he's going crazy. And he's got, you know, the puke coming out of his mouth because of the spin. And I just like, I'm like, you guys win the internet for another week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, just well done. Like, you. I don't know if they're planning this or if they just go, Oh, wouldn't it be cute if the puppet does this? Can we try it? Can we, can we screen that? <laughs> and then it's like, just a ploy to sell more just, toys. Now you're going to have action baby Yoda, you know, uh, yeah. uh Real roller coaster up. baby Yoda. <laughs> my, my wife and I looked at each other. Uh, mine's in the other room or my, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, mine's in the other room. But like the my wife and I looked at each other. That minute he like that second he spit up, and then Jen just like turned around and saw it, and like used his cape, yeah, right, mm-hmm. not like something else, but his cape to like wipe it up, right. Like I was like, that is a hundred percent apparent moment. Yeah, right. Yes. Like we have, I've, I have done that. You know, whatever's handy, my, the edge of my shirt to like wipe, and, and like. Him holding the the sleeve of cookies and then the cookie and like I was like it's like he's got crackers in a juice box yeah and <laughs> he's in the back of the the car you know in the back seat there and I'm looking back making sure they're okay and while I'm doing something really important as well but like yeah yeah yep. that was and just him you know like on the roller coaster 
yeah. thinking this is hilarious and it's a life and death situation and yeah. you're just like oh yeah kid <laughs> <laughs> so much fun and yeah we finally get we get mando taken off we get uh, then we have our friend um uh carson uh uh comes in carson teva which is played mm-hmm. by paul lee um, from Kim's Convenience, who is in the Spire mm-hmm. episode, the X-wing, the Rebellion are there. The resist, they, they they've come by and they're like, "Hey, look, was the Razor Crest here?" Like, you know what yeah. I mean? And, and then Grief is like providing cover, right? And he's just like, yep. "No, my droid. He he, it's an old droid. Everything pre-Empire." And the funny thing was, is that actually, it was Mithril that was processing the Razor Crest right. into the data right. banks. <laughs> in the opening when 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 Din Jarden came in. So it didn't even have anything to do with the droid, which is why he's looking incredulously at him like, are you serious? Like yeah. you're not gonna right. tell him that this is happening. <laughs> yeah, that was and, such a great little... You know, it's Yeah, I, I liked it. And I really liked having Polly back on the show too, because I think the fan reaction, like beyond him having his already uh uh uh, already be famous because of a regular spot on a show that's you know cross borders and really become a, a cultural phenomenon um we have him really following in his passion and i know he's a local toronto guy so i, I always have right. to plug him here because he's such a, a a fantastic actor and whatnot and i think it's great to see him you know doing these spots in the show like i i just genuinely love seeing new characters in yeah. Star Wars. And he gets to go to Cara Dune and he's just like, hey, look, you know, I heard that you are you were on Alderaan. You have this great record of, of being a drop trooper and we could really use someone like you. And she's, you know, not really interested. And he leaves her a badge, which to me tells me this could be the start of that rumored Cara Dune series. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Like we have a, a kickoff point now that if they choose... They could not do it, but if they choose to do it, she could just replay that conversation in her mind mm-hmm. and decide to act on it if life gets a little too boring where yep. she is. Exactly. It could be a, yeah. a gun smoke, a Marshall Dune yeah. <laughs> traveling the outer rim, yeah, <laughs> cleaning exactly. up. <clears throat> exactly. And it's exactly positioned like that, right? Because he's talking right. about how much is happening in the outer rim and you know, obviously they're being discouraged. Like if you ever get out here again and stuff like that, like right. go back to your civilized, go back to, <laughs> to, to back to your capitals and whatnot. And, and, and they establish, I forget the name of the planet now, but it's the one that gets taken out in, in force awakens. You know, like right. the, 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 the rebellion has, has gone on to get off a of course on and, and move the capital around. And I just thought that was a fun little interplay in the meerkat again. On yeah. Screen. I don't know. <laughs> If we're going to walk into stores and get meerkats everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Creepy animatronic meerkat. Yep. So, is, yeah, did you guys have any any takeaways from from all of that? Like, aside from the visual and the, the, the plain stuff that I kind of caught? I, I think that was, like, straight up. I mean, the only thing about the coin is that, like, it felt like a, like a military campaign coin type thing. Like, I have a couple of friends and you know, that are vets and like that whole thing about giving someone your coin, you know, Mm -hmm. kind of is a, is a big, you know, like nod to the other person. Like you're, you're the bomb. 
sort of thing. So that yeah. that he left that there for her, like that seemed like a pretty big deal. Yeah. And her just like staring at it. That's like the only thing I could add. You covered like everything I was thinking about. So. Yeah, it was, it was pretty straightforward. Boris, did you get anything? That's a good point though about the coin. That's because my brother has served and he gave me a coin. <laughs> it's a, one of my prized possessions. So I get that. Um, all I know is that I want to see a web shorts of Paul Lee's character now. Um, I, I have a feeling that we're going to constantly see him. He's going to be playing kind of like, you know, you know, that, that clueless detective who's kind of putting everything together in the background throughout the series. Um, he's not really the main character, but he's, he's, you know, a secondary tertiary character who's kind of slowly putting everything together. I have this weird feeling that, you know, he, he's going to play, uh, not a significant role, but a bigger role than than what we're seeing. Because mm-hmm. I think they're seeing, okay, the empires out here, you know, uh, they're 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 in places that they weren't before. Um, so what are they planning? What are they doing? And what's happening with you know with with this Mandalorian? Like, why is he with this uh, child? What's what what what's going on here? So I think that we're kind of seeing another storyline play into all of this as well. Yeah, it's a great it's a great kickoff point because you know you could almost put him and and Trapper Wolf and whatnot into this idea that they're part of the squadron that's going to be given this section of the outer rim. Yeah, exactly, and yeah. it's the Wild West, and they have to manage it and and use their discretion like they have been doing, where they go, "Hey, Mando, uh, guess what? We know that you helped us," and this right. is further evidence. Like you took out that base, you know what I mean? Like that was that was a real threat. And mm-hmm. you took it out when we know you did, even though your people kind of covered for you. Yeah. But I and just we get like, to the closing. I just sorry, oh, just sorry. Uh, one last thing. I really enjoyed like the um the that law enforcement kind of feel that th- that scene had. Like, all right, everything's everything already happened. <laughs> we just need to, you know, file the paperwork. I just right. just a quick little thing that I wanted to add there. That was a good point. It wasn't yeah. just all run and gun. Um and we get to the flyover, like the very, very, the closing shots where we have the, the Star Destroyer-esque, this cruiser, and we get it, that epic flyover like we do at the opening of all the original trilogy movies. Um, that and space is balls. Where, and space balls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, that's where my ears started tingling, where I'm like, oh boy, like this is happening because I knew that there was something weird about the mechanics look. Right. And now we get, you know, first off slam with confirmation. He's planted a tracking beacon onto the razor crest. Mm -hmm. And then we get the, uh, the officer going in and there's, there's a, a Moff Gideon standing in a room that has a definite vibe of shit goes down here. (laughs) (laughs) like we're not messing around at this point all the red panels (laughs) yeah there's that glow of red there's steam there's it's just there's like this is where something big is happening and we get him cold as a cucumber he's just like you know here we are okay yeah when we have confirmation that the child's there we're going to be ready this time and in those things like we talked about Ben. In those yep. little 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 um, tells that go with descriptive audio, not <laughs> only do we get the images of what's in these kind of booths, 
and they're very abstract. They're not direct, but they hint right. at a form. And then we get the descriptive audio basically saying that we have dark troopers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is the left hook no one saw coming. Like the Snoke thing right. made sense in my mind. Right. And that dark do you want to tell us a little bit about your own personal experience in history with this? Yeah, sure. So I mean I was a teenager. It was either end of high school, beginning of college, and uh, the Dark Force uh, video games came out, and you you play Kyle Katarn, who's like a gray Jedi. He's like he's a Jedi, but he's also a scoundrel. He's like Han Solo meets you know, and he's got like minor Force powers, but because he lives during you know the whole original you know the original trilogy era, he's you know had to keep it all on the down low. And you don't even have like a lightsaber until I think like the second video game or something like that. <laughs> but he uh, he's working for the rebellion to like. Uh, figure out um, something that's going on, like some mission. The, the the imperial regiments are like trying to you know do something, and so he's been sent as like a scout to figure it out. And he's working for the guy with the really bad haircut from the. Uh, <laughs> I think it's the the one who's you know like many boffins died or something like that. I think it's that guy's line. Oh yeah, that's his boss. That and and you're playing. It's like a. It's kind of like a doom esque or quake style, like video game, like that's the engine that you're playing on and you're shooting yep. lots of stormtroopers. But then like you start getting force powers and you start doing stuff like that. And that's really crazy. And then the big reveal is that they're working on uh, like robots, uh, like droids to like make a new army to like replace all their lost stormtroopers. And they're, they're all uh, like black metal and they look like, you know, T-1000 or T-100 Terminators sort of. And then, you find out that not only that, but they're building this like you know lightsaber-proof armor, uh, which is what they—it's uh, Cortosis, I think, is the term. Um, it's the the staffs that they used in the prequel trilogies that the those big droids that uh, worked with General Grievous had that like you would hit it with your lightsaber and then it would just bounce oh. off of it. Yeah, and that's like that's where that came from, like that material, or whatever they made it up in that video game, and then uh, I think at least. That's where it came from. And then they eventually have it where you've got like in, what we would call inquisitors now or like dark side users who get in that armor that they've developed for these robots. And then it's just a super powerful force user who's immune to Jedi, basically. And it's like the big bad guy, the big general who's like behind the whole project is your final boss in like the second video game, I think. And it's just this nice. huge epic moment. And it's just crazy on all sorts of levels because you're fighting in like a large like super starty destroyer that's being destroyed all around you yeah. as you fight this one guy and that was just uh i love those <laughs> games i played them all <laughs> and you meet luke skywalker and like there's the later you know the jedi academy series and like all that story stuff and that's just great too so yeah yeah it was a great oh, yeah, moment the golden age <laughs> of video yeah. games but this was a this was a reach back into legends boris did you see any of that coming were you <laughs> who did if anyone honestly said that they saw dark troopers <laughs> know, coming right? in the show they're full of shit um one thing that i did want to point 100 <laughs> exactly one thing i wanted to point out about these dark troopers is that they come in three phases you know and from right. the silhouette it kind of looked like they were in phase two they didn't really look the phase one dark troopers uh but they look kind of phase 100%. two more phase three um you know they yep. and 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 i remember like back when i was younger playing these games i used to call them cylons because that's what they remembered or, or reminded me of yeah like, they look like yeah. cylons 
Um, right. But uh, yeah, they look like they're more advanced. Um, and I, I'm kind of left to wonder, like, are they going to keep the phases in? Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised for the simple fact that I, they're still in, in, in experimental phase. So I can see, you know, right. right now they're in phase two. They're still experimenting. Somehow Moff Gideon is going to get a hold of more blood and, you know, they'll be able to expand into phase three. So I, it's, I'm, I have so many questions um, in regards to where, um, what's going to be canon now. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, I'm, no one saw this coming. I think it's a really cool direction. It adds so much more. And with the possibility of there being remnants of Jedis and lightsabers in this show or now in the world, um, you know, I think that it makes characters like, uh, Mandalorians and, and, and non lightsaber wielding characters that are badass that much more important Agreed. Yeah. Like, I, I, and this is this really draws about some questions in my mind. Like, where are they going to take these dark troopers? How much are they going to adhere to legends, and how much are they going to start spinning their own canon onto it? Is the blood related to them, or was that for the Snoke stuff? You know, there's a lot of stuff at play now, and because it could be for these things too, right? It could be that these two right. projects merge at some point. Yep. And that's why Moff Gideon is so intent on this all happening. But I also think that this goes back to the point that I, I brought up earlier. The stormtroopers simply aren't a challenge for our for our heroes. Right. And now I think they get a challenge. Yeah. Exactly. Starting next episode, you know, like it's gonna be it's gonna take the combined forces of Ahsoka and and Din Jarden and whoever else appears in this next episode to fight off. Or maybe even like they may lose. Yeah. There might be damage to yeah. our characters. Yeah. And One, that, I'm, I'm sorry, I, I kind of jumped into what I think might happen next week. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Um, you know, one thing I did want to mention was something that we've kind of learned about Moff Gideon uh, through his limited appearances in season one was that while he is a part of the Empire, while, you know, he does follow orders for the Empire, he kind of has his own side gig, his own side mission. You know, um, we still don't know exactly what his end game is. We don't know what he's building towards. Um, but I think that's why we kind of see the, the Snook clones and then we see the Dark Troopers, like where the Snook clones are kind of like the Empire's plans. But these Dark Troopers are kind of like off the books, his pet project type thing. Yeah, almost like a Thrawn. Yeah, right. exactly. Right. Yeah. Like, like, exactly like that. Yeah, yeah. and I was actually going to say, like, Timothy Zahn's Thrawn trilogy was a huge... Like, people don't remember this, but, like, there was nothing in Star Wars. And then mm -hmm. Timothy, Thrawn, uh, Timothy Zahn's, like, Thrawn trilogy, Heir to the Empire, was the first one, I think. Yep. Uh, when that dropped in the mid nineties. Like that was yep. just this huge moment for so many people because I just, everyone read them and, you know, even people that weren't like, you know, super star Wars fans at the time read them. And it was like, Oh my gosh, this is like the beginning of something. Yeah. And the, and then, you know, obviously it becomes legends and, and then, you know, he comes back in, uh, rebels rebels yeah i was like clone wars yeah uh but no he comes Kinda. back in rebels and yeah and he is and it's a remix but he's still fantastic and i think you know wherever dave filoni and john favreau go with you know dark troopers i'm i'm on board right like they've they've shown that they have the chops to 
you know, yeah. move forward. And with the directors that they have, like Bryce Dallas Howard and, and Carl Weathers here, and like just so many people that have just nailed it every time. Like yeah. I'm, I'm in. Like, you don't have to convince me. Yeah, (laughs) This is super compelling storytelling that's happening now. And I got to say, for Era of the Empire, it was where I learned the word sardonic. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's Timothy Zahn's favorite word in that trilogy, (laughs) he said with a sardonic smile. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I'm like, I've got to pull out the dictionary on this one. (laughs) Right. So, uh, yeah. So... I've given my little prediction for what I think is I, you know, cause I can only be vague on this one. I, I can't spot anything because now it's a wild card. Like we all know that from the rumors and from the, um, the interviews that Dave and John have given that the second half of the season is going to be drastically different than the first half. So mm-hmm. does Din Jarden give the child to Ahsoka and Ahsoka takes off? To train him and then Din Jardin's left with the Mandalorian issues and the Moff Gideon issues and all of that does he keep the child safe does he continue on with the protective father role those are questions that I have Boris what do you think is gonna maybe happen oh man you know you, it's so much as possible like I said this show has given us so much and there's so many possibilities and you know I don't want to call them red herrings but you know there's so many um points where they can kind of make spin-offs and their own stories but i feel like you know some of them are going to come into fruition and some of them won't it's not because they're red herrings it's just simply because they're not in the plans right now um but i do really think that um we are going to see less of the child moving forward i do think that we are going to deal with more of the mandalorian and those issues um you know because his mission right now is to deliver the child to the Jedi, and then they can do whatever they have to do with it, with it right? Um, last week with Bo-Katan, that kind of set up a whole other um, huge issue from actual Bo-Katan's issues and her trying to get the, the Darksaber again to that hint that something's going on in Mandalore because the Empire's kind of said, like, if, if you go there, you're dead. Um, so, you know, it's... it's, it's there's so many places that we can go and i think while we are going to see the child a little less we are going to focus more on mandalorian culture and going into mandalore which will then have you know more um uh, credence into having bo and others uh possibly other characters from clone wars and jedi uh and uh, rebels join us so yeah i i was very vague <laughs> but I, I, I feel like yeah. there's just so many directions that we can go in. Ben, so, I, I, I saw this look in your eye. <laughs> <laughs> so I think uh, th- that they're going to get there, right? But like this show has always been about like the journey and like everything I've wanted to have happen. Like it's like five episodes later, right? Like, and, it, and it's kind of, that's delicious in some ways, but uh it's also it can be frustrating but i think we're in the second season they've approved a total of four seasons and i feel like we're in the Mm -hmm. empire strikes back i mean they it's star wars so it follows traditional tropes people like that it's it's storytelling rules this is gonna be the big bad we're you know this is part one of uh end game yep here um we're in the end game now uh but no like next episode it's gonna be terrible i think <laughs> we're gonna see ahsoka and she's gonna get hosed because she's not expecting 
you know, Moff Gideon dropping on her. And I think, I think, I think he loses the child. And I think it's going to be the rest of the season is him trying to get the child back and mm. Ahsoka helping him. And I think, like, uh, I know Ming Na Wen is, is listed as being in this season. So I yep. think she might be the Boba Fett slash, uh, uh, bounty hunter slash maybe dark trooper like uh you know test pilot type person maybe and she had some crazy uh, cool armor on and just like yeah i think that's what the season is going to be it's like episodes five six seven eight are just going to be rough and episode eight is going to be them like you know him with the child and maybe ahsoka like at the end and then like next season i think it's we're going to get the maybe hopefully i hope <laughs> i really want to see the mandalore stuff <laughs> and i really want to see all of that come to fruition and you know whatnot so and you know return of the jedi sort of happy ending of a trilogy and i i, I mm-hmm. bet they're gonna go i bet they're aiming for like six or maybe nine seasons if they're lucky right like i i like unlike the new trilogy which had some great moments i think the failure to plan each of the mm-hmm. three episodes linked together it was a big downfall and i think feloni and favreau are very like aware of that and how everything from the very beginning you could see in season one like how they planned it out and they understood that foreshadowing is really important when you write and to tell a good story and so they were able to do that where you don't have any you have almost zero foreshadowing in the new trilogy because each movie has its own separate thing that doesn't connect exactly truly right like they they, they yep. do some like messing around to make it look like foreshadowing but you can tell the man behind the curtain did not have that plan yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Fun. So I'm I re- that's that's my feeling. And as a as a fan like oh god no, but as as a writer I'm like oh yes. Oh yes. Bring it on. Yeah. <laughs> Bring on the darkness. So I think that's a really valuable perspective to be yeah. honest because it it's easy as a fan to just project what you want, but I think in your professional writing capacity, it's a dimension that sometimes we miss out on and I think it's a very very underappreciated and important kind of uh story to, to understand the storytelling structure ben, yeah, where can I mean, people find you like i want to um, know like you can uh find me on uh drive through rpg my ben werner w-o-e-r-n-e-r i uh, public i'm published through gallant night games um so alan barf gallant night games they, they're all over on uh on facebook there's groups and there's a discord uh, uh channel and all those uh different things that's where i generally uh am at and uh yeah uh nighty nights or i'm sorry let me uh step back knights of the underbed is the latest role-playing <laughs> game i put out where you play stuffed animals protecting children from monsters and nightmares a world of doom was the first one i ever did um which was a samurai noir role-playing game my love letter to chambara kira kurosawa films nice. so yeah amazing that's awesome boris well phil i think it's time i think we've reached that time we are you know again 90 minutes discussing a 40 minute show <laughs> i love it and honestly i really you know i might make joke around but i honestly love these roundtable discussions i love hearing what other people are um thinking about this show especially people with proper credentials and fans you know it's just always it's always a lot of fun just talking to new people um so ben thank you so much for coming on and phil where can people find us well you can find us at www.itscanonpodcast.com you can find us on instagram twitter facebook at itscanonpodcast you can email us at show at itscanonpodcast.com 
and you can subscribe via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podbean, Amazon, really anywhere you find podcasts, you're going to find our show. So thank you so much for listening. Be sure to hit the subscribe button and also uh, leave a rate and review for us. We greatly appreciate it and look forward to talking to you on the interwebs. That's right. All right. It's the It's Canon Podcast. It it was Monday. We talked about all things Mandalorian. Season 2, Episode 4, Chapter 12. It was a lot of fun. So thank you, Ben, for joining us. Thank you, Phil, for leading us in this discussion week to week. Um, And, uh, you know, I think next week is a big one. And as always, we do have a guest lined up. But if you ever do want to be part of the It's Canon podcast, just send us a note. You know, we love this is the whole point. It's a community. We're trying to build a community. Um, You know, we're we're just like you guys. We're fans of everything. Uh, So thank you to everyone who has been listening and, you know, will continue to listen. He's Phil. I'm Boris. Good night.